You are listening to the audio ministry for More Nations Church, Cardiff. to talk about Jesus, to consider Jesus is coming back. He's coming again. I want to pick up this morning, if I can, from the last time that I was with you. We left it at quite uh, an exciting time. We looked at these scriptures in the book of Matthew. And we were looking at this exciting life that Jesus led. And we saw that actually the life that Jesus led was the same exciting life that he wants you and I to lead. And we saw this wonderful glimpse. We looked at Matthew 14 and how Peter was walking on the water towards Christ and he made it to him. But then for whatever reason he began just to look away and he began to sink. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand when Peter cried out and pulled him up. And in that moment, Peter and Jesus are hand in hand above the wind and the waves. And then they walk back. It says they came to the boat. And that is this exciting life that you and I are called to live and lead, not just on a Sunday, not just when we gather here at All Nations Church or wherever you fellowship, but every day with Jesus hand in hand, okay? He wants us to be like that, not like the crowd, the far off, looking for the miracles, not like the other disciples left in the boat, but like Peter. Remember Peter, the impulsive, reckless Peter. But he's the one who says, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. He's the one. I want to be like Peter. I want to be with Jesus all the time. So I want to carry on looking at this. But I'm going to take you to a different gospel, which is just another account of the same story. If I can take you to the book of John and chapter 6. So in the narrative of everything that we're looking at, this will touch on those last few verses about Jesus in the boat and the disciples being afraid, and then it will take the story on. Make no apology as well today that I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture almost to the end of this chapter. We are not those who can cherry pick our scriptures. John 6, going to start from verse 19, going to read all the way down to verse 69, and this morning I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible this morning, cutch up to someone next to you, someone will have a Bible that you can look at. Church, just have a look around because we're going to read a lot of scripture. Make sure that everyone can see a Bible, okay? John 6, 19 to 69. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Verse 22. On the next day... The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples and that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? 
Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus? The son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning 
who's, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We'll stop there. Such a lot to take in, but what a confession to end on. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. What a confession. It's a a, a lengthy passage of scripture again. Read it again. There's so much in there. I can't possibly touch on everything that's in there. And it starts off with so much hustle. This is the day after the feeding of the 5,000. So the crowd that ate, they've gone away. But it's obvious, it says, that the crowd that remained, there's still, still some people there. And now they're looking for Jesus. Where's he gone? Where is he? We know there was only one boat. The disciples took it. So where's Jesus gone? He's around here somewhere. And then some other boats come from Tiberias looking for Jesus. They've heard about what's happened. And it says that the crowd that remained and then these other boats from Tiberias all get into boats and go across the sea looking for Jesus like this mini armada. Like on the hunt for Jesus. Where's he gone? Where's Jesus? And when they finally find him, there's this... It must, they must have been exhausted. They've crossed a sea. They've searched on land looking for Jesus. How exciting was his life that he just drew people all the time. There's this sort of sense of mob rule, mob mentality. Where, let's go. Let's, is he over here? No, let's go over there. Let's get him. Where's Jesus? There's so much going on. Yet at the same time, it's a very sobering passage of Scripture as well. You see, it seems to start on this high of the miracle, of the walking on the water, of Jesus has somehow got from here to there and the people are perplexed, but they know something amazing has happened. Yet it finishes with Jesus addressing his 12 and saying, will you leave me as well? As a passage of scripture, it's just so full. It starts with miracles. Jesus pours out great wisdom. Attitudes are examined. Decisions are made. And this morning I want to suggest to you that this is largely a passage based around a series of questions. And it's those questions I really want you to have a think about this morning. The last time I stood here, I talked about there were three levels of excitement going on. There was the crowd, there was the disciples, and there was Peter who stepped out of the boat. And I just put that rhetorical question out there for you to examine your heart, let the Holy Spirit do that, and to say, where are you in your excitement with Jesus Christ? Well, this morning I want to look at these questions that are posed to Jesus. Just look at maybe the heart behind it as we examine how excited am I about Jesus? What do I come to Jesus for? Why am I here today? Okay? Right now, church, God is taking the temperature. He stands over us, if you will, with a thermometer. And he just wants to know, are you burning for Jesus Christ? He wants to know, are you blowing hot for him or are you blowing cold? And it's a chance for us in these days to soberly assess, what do I feel about Jesus Christ? So much busyness, so much to do, so many good things. But don't forget the person, the Christ of your faith, the Savior who took on the cross and took on your shame. Don't neglect him or forget him. It's time to get excited once again 
about the name of Jesus. This is the same question that God simply asked Adam. Where are you? And God would ask that question of each and every one of us. Where are you today? He's pulling us back to him as the reason for relationship. The first question I want to have a look at comes in verse 25. Take a look. Says The crowd says this, teacher, rabbi, when did you come here? When did you come here? How did this happen? There was only one boat. The disciples took it. When did you come here? But you examine their hearts. As a question, that seems plausible. A mystery has taken place. But as you look at the scripture, you think, hang on a second. Why did you come here? We were looking for you where you were yesterday. We were in the place where you were yesterday. You did something great yesterday. In fact, we told our friends about it. They've come on their boats to find where you were yesterday. There's a great danger in looking for the Jesus of your yesterday. I tell you this as a truth. As wonderful as a time of praise and worship that I enjoyed this morning, tomorrow it's gone. And I've got to wake up and say, good morning, Jesus, and give him my praise and my adoration, whether I sing it through song or just through my words and my actions. But Jesus must be glorified every day. I can't live on yesterday. Okay? I, I can't. And here's a crowd saying, how did you get here? What was, what was, why weren't you there? Well, that's where we left you. We thought we could pick that up, you know, back over there. And now we've had to get these boats and come over. What are you doing here? You know, those people who are excited about Jesus have an expectation that change will come and come and come. That's the way it works for us. We are being changed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory to another degree of glory. Jesus isn't static. Now, I know he's the unchanging one. I know he's the eternal one. But he is also the king, let us not forget, of a kingdom that is advancing. That's going forward. I can't look for Jesus where he was yesterday. The miracle of yesterday won't hold me for today. Every day in my excitement, I've got to wake up and think, God, what are you doing today? Jesus lived his life. I can only do what I see the Father doing. No point Jesus doing what the Father did yesterday. What are you doing today, Lord Jesus? Let me get excited today. The crowd would very happily have boxed him in, very happy. See, their needs were met yesterday. They had a good meal yesterday. Why change? But something else happened. If you have to ask the question, how did you get here? It means that you took your eyes off Jesus. Because if they'd have kept their eyes on Jesus, if they'd have stayed close to where Jesus was, they'd have seen him walk out on the sea. We lost sight of you, Lord Jesus. How did you get here? Church, don't lose sight of Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Don't let things come and take you away and distract you, but keep your eyes on Jesus. Those excited about Jesus, you'll never walk away from him. You'll never lose sight of him. But if you do, you'll wonder, how did you get so far away from me, Lord Jesus? In a night, Jesus had crossed a sea. And the next morning, people, just in their contentment of the yesterday, where's he gone? Don't be found out like that. Ask yourself this question. Am I staying close to Jesus all the time? That was the first question they asked. The second question is this in verse 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? What a funny question. 
What must we do to be doing? It's, it's so backwards in many ways. It's so consumed with busyness. It's so obsessed with method. It's so just concerned about process. If this, then this. If this, then this. What must we do to be doing the works of God? See, this is the crowd again. This is them not excited about the person in front of them. They're standing before Jesus. They have forgotten the feeding of the 5,000 men besides women and children. Now that seems to have gone out of their head because this is all plays out in the context of that miracle. That's what's on their mind. That's what's making their tummies rumble that morning. They're hungry for physical food. They're too concerned about feeding themselves. And Jesus says this to the, verse 26, says, you seek me because you ate your fill. So their question is really is not what must we do to be doing the works of God. Their question is this, how do I get more of that food? How do I feed myself? It's not about the person of Jesus for them. They haven't sought out Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They've sought out the one who gave them a hearty meal yesterday. Their question is, how can we feed ourselves? And Jesus says in verse 29, this is the work. Believe in me. Believe in me. But they weren't after Jesus, the person. Jesus, the savior. Jesus, the messiah. They were after Jesus, the chef, Jesus, the miracle worker, Jesus, who made so much food from so little that they had so much left over. That's the Jesus they wanted, but that Jesus was the Jesus of yesterday. And today he says, I'll tell you what the work is now. It's me. Believe in me. Church, we need to always get things in the right order. God is so gracious. Jesus is so wonderful that he gives and he blesses and he touches and he heals and he restores and he delivers. But that is not our focus. Our focus is him, Jesus Christ. Him as priority. Always him. Always him. See, those who are excited about Jesus, they don't concern themselves with their need and their sufficiency. That's not neglecting that you will have needs that need to be met. But there is an order that Jesus says, it's me, it's me, it's me. Consider that, whatever you're facing. Don't decry what you're facing, but have you replaced Jesus with a circumstance? Do you look up and you think, I've got to have a need met today, Lord. I've got to, I've got to, ha- I've got to have my, my fill again. You've done it for me in the past, Lord Jesus. I need you to do it again. And Jesus simply says this, this is the work. Put me first. Put me first. Have you ever considered, have you ever cried and said, God, I'm just, uh, I'm falling apart, Lord Jesus. I feel like I've hit rock bottom. Has it ever occurred to you that it's not that Jesus has led you to that place, but he wants you to know that he is the rock at the bottom. And if you can get back to him, then this is the truth. The only way is up. And the only way is forward. Did some of you ever consider That this miracle that you're so after, that this doesn't seem to have come, for whatever reason seems to be held back, is because your focus is purely on the miracle and the need being met. And if you could just shift your focus to the one beyond and say, Lord Jesus, it's you. These things, yes, there are pressure. Yes, there are testimony. But Heavenly Father, I can rejoice because of Jesus. 
I have a great life because of what Jesus has done for me. I can lift my head and I can smile and I can say, Lord Jesus loves me. My name is written in the book of life. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He has made me the head and not the tail. And his word says that he has done wonderful things for me and he has a great future for me. You begin to take his name again on your lips. Swap out the problem. Swap out the need. Swap out the circumstance. Put Jesus back in his rightful place. Put him back on the throne of your life. People who are excited about Jesus are just that. They're excited about Jesus. They believe first and foremost in him. And that is enough. When you consider what Jesus has done for your life and my life, when you consider the cross, when you consider where he came, he who came from everlasting, who pierced time to come down and take upon the wrath of God and to replace your sin with his righteousness, when you begin to consider what Jesus has done, if he never did another thing for you, it's enough to deserve my praise. It's Jesus. This is the Christ. I'm excited about. He's not just the miracle maker to me. He's not just the need giver. He's not just the deliverer. By his grace, he is all these things. But he is Jesus. Savior, Redeemer, Christ, Messiah. That's who I'm talking about this morning. The third question is in verse 30. What sign do you do that we, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? I find this extraordinary. Hadn't Jesus done enough to answer that question in the feeding of the 5,000? Yeah. You know, like, hello? Did, you know, you're so concerned with yesterday, you went back to the place of that miracle. How dare you ask this question? It's unbelievable. Isn't it? I mean, God, hadn't Jesus just done enough? That the house sad that in everything Jesus had done, they totally missed the person doing it. How sad. This is a people, what sign do you do? What sign do you do that we may, that we may believe? I, I'm, I'm staggered. But they're only interested in chasing after another sign. They don't even want a sign to be blown away by it. They only want a sign. And by the way, they want the same sign as Jesus did yesterday. They're just hungry people. They have no eye on eternity. Their eye is just getting filled and getting filled with bread. All this after 5,000 men, besides women and children, were were fed from five little loaves and two fish. All this, even though 12 baskets, 12 baskets of bread and fish gathered together, that he produced more than he even had to begin with. Because there's no waste in the miracle. Pick it up, that'll feed somebody. But this is the history of those who follow signs. This is the history of the people of Israel. This is the history of those who are led, who see the plagues in Egypt, who are led by a Pharaoh whose heart is turned to say, fine, go, get out of here, just go. And they're led and they follow a, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. These are the people who go through the Red Sea on dry ground. These are the people who turn around and see the same sea clothes in and wipe out their enemies forever. These are the people who wander in the desert again, sustained every morning by manna from heaven, quail that falls to the ground that they can pick it up. They don't even have to go and hunt. These are the people whose clothes never wear out. Their shoes never wear out. These are the people, sign after sign after sign, and then you get to know 
Numbers 11, and there's this horrible verse where it says, oh, if only we were in Egypt because they had leeks and onions. I'm so tired of this divine bread from heaven. God, hello. You would forsake your deliverance for an onion, for a leek, for a watermelon, would you? Oh, don't you remember the taste of the onions and the garlic? Don't you remember the flogging? Don't you remember the beatings? Don't you forsake the goodness of your God as he's delivered you? For an onion? If you chase a sign, you will negate your relationship with Jesus Christ. If faith is dependent on a sign, a wonder, a miracle, your deliverance, you may get it because Jesus is so gracious. But I tell you this, you will always need another hit. You'll always need another fix. The miracle will not sustain you. Only Jesus can sustain you. Whatever you're warring on, I will war with you in prayer. I will fast and pray for you. Come and see me. We'll see breakthrough after breakthrough. But it starts with Jesus. It starts with a deliverer. It starts with a person. Days to lift our eyes on where we are down here and see things from his wonderful eternal perspective. He has won. It's time to get excited about Jesus. I was thinking about this, just reading through my notes last night in bed. Zoe's fast asleep. And I think, I, I don't love my wife because of the work and the sign. Made you a lovely meal, David. Thank you, darling. I do love you. Just reminded me. I did. I, I doubted it all day. But then you had made a meal for me. And I remembered, I do love you. That's not a relationship, folks. I love my wife because I love my wife. My heart is knit together with her heart. She has me and I have her. We're one. It's, it's, you know, it happens sometimes in the business of life. Uh, I, I've, I've messed up. There's, there's no food. I, well, I don't love you anymore. In fact, I'm calling my solicitor. Come on. That's no different from just chasing the sign instead of looking after Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You see, those who are excited about Jesus, you'll always see him first. You'll always see him first. Those excited by Jesus, their faith doesn't grow because he performs the miracles. It grows because they see a savior so moved in love and compassion that it just draws them. They see someone who, it was only because of his kindness that they were drawn to him to repent and follow him in the first place. It all points back to him. What sign do you do that we would believe? And Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. It's not about a miracle or a wonder. It's not about the physical bread you ate, people. It's about me and I stand in front of you. I am the bread. It's me. Look at me. It points to me. And they just did not see it. Three questions asked by the crown. Three answers given by Jesus. It's interesting though, it's only in this last answer that he refers to himself. I am the bread of life. He asks them to recognize, actually, in all you're doing, all your questions, I'm the answer. We joke sometimes when someone asks a tough question at the Bible school, isn't the answer Jesus? Yes, it is. Yes, it's Jesus. 
the answer is Jesus. Whatever question you're trying to get answered, whatever you're looking for this morning, visitor for the first time, visitor for the umpteenth time, church member of 25 years, if you're looking for an answer, it's Jesus. It will never be anything different. And this is the only time he says, it's about me. And this is the time that they says in verse 21, so they grumbled. Tells you straight away, they never, it wasn't about the person. They just want a food. They just want a meal. They were never interested in him. He's the Messiah. Standing before them is the fulfillment of promise and prophecy that they've told, talked to each other about, that they've raised their children with an expectation and he's there in front of them. And through it all, many walk away from Jesus. He was not enough. His words without signs, it would seem, were just empty gestures. Not enough. Too hard. Verse 64, Jesus says, There are some of you who do not believe. Verse 66, and after this, many of his disciples, not the crowd, not the the, the extra boats from Tiberias, Not the people who had just encountered Jesus for the first time in a miracle. His disciples. The followers. The people. The crowd that went with him wherever he went. Many of his disciples turned away and no longer, note the phrase, walked with him. Verse 67. See, now it's Jesus' turn to ask a question. He turns to the twelve. The intimate twelve. The ones he's called. The ones who left everything everything in a moment and followed him and he gives them their big chance to walk away what about you will you leave me as well what about you do you want to go away what about you disciples am i enough am i sufficient for you without sign am i sufficient for you without wonder what about you are you excited enough about me are you excited enough about me to stay with me To believe in me? To walk with me? Do you want to go away as well? See, how long was that silence? How many of the nervous shuffling of feet, the nervous glances, and then Peter. Reckless, impulsive Peter. And Peter asks his own question. Lord! So who else can we go? Good question, Peter. Good question. And he doesn't even let Jesus answer it. So who else can we go? Lord, we believe and we've come to know you are the Holy One of God. Why? Where, where can we go? Where can we go? Disciples, passionate about Jesus, not walking away. Why? Because they have believed and know that he was the Holy One of God. We can't go anywhere, Jesus. We believe and know it's all about you. Lord, who else is there? Where could we possibly go? Our eyes have been opened. Our hearts have been knit to yours. Our spirits are joined with you, Lord Jesus. It's you. We get it now. It's you. This is Peter. He's had the revelation. What do people say about me? Jesus said, you're the Christ. It's you. Peter understood. How did he know that? Because he walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. And doesn't that bring us full circle to where we started in the narrative of this only a few hours ago? 
of Peter and Jesus walking hand in hand above the storm and above the sea. It's all about walking with him. The crowd asked three questions. When did you come here? What was wrong with yesterday? What must we do to be doing? Show us how to feed ourselves. What sign will you do that we might believe? We're just after a sign. We're not interested in you. And Jesus answered, it's me. What you're looking for is me. I am the bread of life. I am the bread that will sustain you. I am the bread of which if you will just take of me, you will have eternal life and you will never hunger again. It's me. Aren't I enough? And many walked away. And here is the question to put to you, to put to me. What about you? Do you want to walk away as well? No. We say no. Of course we say no. But let me add one more thing. If you settled for the Jesus of yesterday, if you're too busy in the doing, just trying to feed yourself, if you're waiting on a sign, a miracle, deliverance that you might believe, let me tell you this, you're closer to walking away from Jesus than you might realize. In fact, some of you already have. But here's the wonderful news. Jesus says, walk with me. Walk with me. Aren't I enough? Walk with me. And our cry is this, Lord, to who else can we go? One more thing on that. When Jesus says, do you want to go away? The Greek for that word, go away, it means this withdraw. There's something so subtle about that. It's just a withdrawing. It's just a withdrawing. And when nobody's looking, you're gone. Don't withdraw from Jesus. Don't withdraw from the fellowship of his saints because there is Christ in the midst. Don't withdraw from your praise and your worship because of things you might be going through and find hard. Don't withdraw, saints. There's a verse 66. They turn back and they no longer walked with Jesus. Are you walking with him? Is it exciting enough that you'll wake up tomorrow morning and know that today you can walk with Jesus Christ? Or do you need something first? Do you need a sign? Do you need God to make you breakfast? Do you need a phone call with promise of money? Do you need something? Or is it enough? That you can put your head on your pillow tonight and know that you walk with Jesus. You see, that's the exciting life that Jesus has for us. Walking with Jesus, hand in hand, above the storms and the seas, always to a place of peace. That's what I want. I simply leave it with you this morning. Is that what you want? Or will you leave me as well? Lord, to who else can we go? We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. But I just want to ask you, church, if you'll stand to your feet. The psalmist said this in Psalm 73, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh And my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, 
but for me. Can you put yourself in that verse? But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. But for me, it is good. Just close your eyes. Between you and Jesus right now, will you go away as well? Or have you come, have you believed and know that this is Jesus? To be excited about him. Every day, not to chase the sign, but to walk with him today. Don't lose sight of him. Don't walk away from him. Resolve, Lord Jesus, you're enough. You are enough. To who else could I go? Who else could I go? Who is there like you? You've been listening to a message from All Nations Church Cardiff. To download other messages, subscribe to our podcast, or find out more about us, log on to www.allnationschurch.org.uk. Thank you.